0: Welcome to Street Knowledge with Chris Graham. Welcome to the podcast. I am Chris Graham, joined here on this Monday by Scott German. We're going to talk a lot of UVA basketball today. Scott was over at the Blue White Scrimmages uh, on Saturday and got a good look at the, the UVA men's basketball team. I, f- I f- want to start, though, Scott, with a quick observation. You know, the Baltimore Orioles, your you're, you're near and dear favorites, uh, we're in the wild card race in the American League until the last week of the season. And, you know, when you follow a team through into a wild card chase, you, you might think, oh, yeah, well, if we make the playoffs, we'll probably make it and, and lose in the first round. Well, then you look over in the National League and the National League Championship Series is two wild card teams. Tonight, uh, the Cleveland Guardians have a chance as a wild card team to play their way into the ALCS. Man, do you think, Scott, sometimes about how. The Orioles, if they could have played their way in, they may they may have gone a little bit uh, into these playoffs.
1: Oh, absolutely. That's why the excitement. You know, all you got to do is get in, right? Yeah. I mean, the National League is the fifth and sixth seeds, right, yeah. Yeah. are playing for the National League championship. So the National League is is surely going to be represented by a wild card. American League won't because both Cleveland and the Yankees won their divisions, but if Cleveland were in any other division, they would have had to get in as a wild card, right?
0: Well, and they've still played in the wild card round because they were the, uh, wild, right. they were the division champ with the worst record among the division champs.
1: Right. Which, which is why this is my favorite time of the year because it is truly wide open. Can you imagine any other professional sport? Let's just take the NBA. A number one seed. Yeah. To lose to a number eight seed would be – a catastrophic upset, right?
0: It's happened a couple of times, but then for that eight seed to play to all the way to the finals is yeah. really hard to do. To it's, advance. I don't um, think the, the eight, there've been, uh, eight seeds who've won uh, one year was it um, Seattle lost to Denver when Brian Stith was on that Denver Nuggets team and they lost in the next round. I think they got swept in the next round. Um, and there was one year the Dallas Mavericks when Dirk Nowitzki was MVP. A, they were 67-15. and 15. Rick Carlisle was the coach, I believe. Um, they lost <coughs> to Golden State, a Golden State team pre-Steph and Draymond and all those guys, and then Golden State lost their next round. So, yeah, it's really hard uh, in a seven-game series in, in basketball uh, for that. But in baseball, man, baseball, it, you know. If baseball, you get hot, it's,
1: it's if you're hot at the right time. You, know? you,
0: know, you get a hot pitcher
1: or two, yeah. Can, I mean, we just saw Philadelphia defeat Atlanta what three out of four three out of four yeah if that happens in the regular season it doesn't even get a mention
0: well and and then yeah exactly and then la the Dodgers won 111 games this year had to what well, like the fourth best run differential in MLB history like i think it was plus 334 got beaten three they won I think they won game one and lost three straight right um, yeah.
1: they just and, and you know i said this i think i may have mentioned it to you it may have been a it may be a disadvantage because the because the, the the Dodgers had wrapped up just about everything,
0: yeah.
1: After Labor Day, I mean, they were twenty. They won the division
0: by twenty-one or twenty-two games. Yeah, the Padres were tw- eighty-nine and seventy-three. So they were twenty-two games back. Yeah.
1: So the only thing they had to play for was the overall best record, and I think even they clinched that around late, maybe the third week in September.
0: Yeah cuz they they had 111 um the Mets had 101 and I, th- well, I guess the Braves had 1 I think, I think Houston had 100 I think Houston had 104. Yeah 104 cuz yeah the Yankees only had So you figure 99.
1: seven games and then that means they pretty much clinched that with at least 10 games left 10, oh, yeah. 10 days. So so the the so the switch maybe is not as easy to throw back on when all of a sudden you're playing meaningless games in September to playing these high pressure games in October.
0: I have to wonder too, Scott. You're you're a baseball guy like I am. Um, you know the way we're doing. This is the first year of this new format. I Keep changing all the formats all the time. The wild card teams played. Uh, the wild card teams and those that the third division champion um, played three game series. The uh, the the teams who had buys had that whole time off. They had like five days off, five or six days off between the end of the regular season and uh, the start of the playoffs for them. Have to wonder if that time off see baseball's a daily sport. You play yeah, every day. Timing for six months. timing everything. Yeah, and then you got then you're off for a week. That's that can't be that can't be good in a in a sport like baseball either, I don't think. Um I think
1: I I think it was I think it was um uh, Dusty Baker may have said the same thing that he did not like that format just because. That it was actually a of a disadvantage to teams to be off for five days because, like you said, you can't, you can't, you know, baseball is a daily thing. These guys get into batter's box, they get in, or they, they get into BP. You can't replicate facing live pitching in batting practice. You just no, can't
0: even in an intra squad game, it's just not the same. You're not going to dive for 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 uh you know line drives, and you know, you're trying not to get hurt in those situations. And so, yeah, and then all of a sudden. You're playing a team that had to play their way in, probably had to play their way into the wild card, then play their way through the wild card. And you not only are you off for a week, but like you just said about like the Dodgers, for example, they hadn't really played a meaningful baseball game caught. Who knows? I mean, you're, you're saying Labor Day. One could argue probably June or July. <laughs> and all of a sudden you're playing meaningful baseball where if you lose. Unless, they were, unless you consider meaningful,
1: just trying to gain that overall number one seed.
0: And even that, it's like, That's not quite the, you know, if you lose the end of the world, I mean, for example, the Dodgers and the Padres, the Dodgers won 14 of 19 in that season series this year. And the Dodgers had won nine straight against the Padres last year. They'd won 23 of their last 28 games against this team. They lose three out of four and they're out of the playoffs. Their season's over.
1: Yeah. And, you know, Chris, there's a lot of thought. And I was listening to a podcast the other day that in a world series, especially teams don't actually it doesn't really bother players to be on the road for those first two games because all you got to do is split and you gain home field advantage yeah
0: yeah yeah so
1: and then get the jitters out so the so playing
0: all playing all season for that home field advantage doesn't do you know in baseball of the sports of the major sports the home field the advantage in baseball is the least yeah it's by far, by far. I mean, in basketball, you know, you get yelled at when you're shooting a free throw. It's it's kind of hard to hear. We're in JPJ a lot. It's hard to hear. In football, it can be different. You know, when you're when your quarterback's trying to call signals, and you know, the, uh, the the visiting team or the home team's crowd is is screaming. But in baseball, I mean, I don't know. Do, you, do they even hear it? I don't think they do. It's no, I don't think they. I don't think they're they hear hurting it. the players at all. Yeah,
1: I don't think they hear it. Uh, only thing home field advantage might make a big difference in baseball is if you're if you're the Orioles and you move the left-field wall back to the inner harbor <laughs> and you, and you make it, uh, almost like the green monster of South. I mean, yeah. And uh, visiting players, I was reading a story of visiting players. They, 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 they took a lot of the comments. The first thing out of the visiting players mouth was the common theme was what the,
0: i only went to three games in camden yards this year but uh uh we were at
1: one and we saw one ball just absolutely rocketed off the bat and in any other stadium they saw they said any other stadium, or 29 out of the other 28 out of 29 stadiums it's three four five rows deep and it was caught before the warning track oh yeah the first
0: the first game i went to that weekend um The uh, first inning, there were three, the visiting team hit two and the the Orioles hit one uh, fly balls. That would have been easy home runs in Camden Yards last year, but they weren't this year. You know, I was thinking, too, about the home field advantage or disadvantage in the World Series. You know, one thing you got to think about, too, if you're on the road the first two games, you get to play baseball. If you're at home those first two games, you got so many people asking you for tickets that, are, are you preparing for the game as much as you are just getting getting tickets to everybody so there's there's that part too you know just you know if um so so yeah it's it's it is interesting i mean if the fact that it's five versus six uh in the national league and there could be the four seed uh could very well win tonight against the yankees who struggled mightily after that 62 and 18 start they were under 500 the the second half of the season this year um so yeah, it is it's uh it's something to talk about there, no doubt about so that.
1: so yeah, and all this de- definitely ties right back into the UVA 2022, 2023
0: Benz basketball team, right? Oh, it does because uh I just wanted to talk about it. No, no I wanted to talk got about you. the world. Yeah, you, so you were Saturday, you were at um, you were at JPJ with uh several thousand people, as it turns out, for a scrimmage. We you, you might have been there with more people at the scrimmage than might be the next home football game. Uh, which is still a couple weeks away. but uh, you got to see the men's team uh, for the first time uh, in action. Um, and uh, you short you shared your impressions with me. Uh, I didn't get to go to the game. I had a had a lunch with a couple of my UVA fellow UVA alums that I hadn't seen in quite a while uh, on Saturday. But um, I want to get your impression of uh, of the team um, from what I can tell. It seems like this team might be able to shoot the ball a little bit this year.
1: Well, let me tell you, I've I've went to I've seen many of these. I used to they used to call them orange and blue. I don't know why all of a sudden now they're blue white, um, but whatever. Um, and I've never seen a group of guys that can shoot this well. Now I did have someone ask me, but are you just comparing this to last year's team? If that were the case, then you know <laughs> we know that last year's team. didn't exactly shoot well
0: 32.3% from three-point range yeah yeah Uh,
1: but no this this team this group of freshmen were as impressive as any group of freshmen I've ever seen
0: two Um, Isaacs look like in your mind from what you told me Isaac McNeely the guard 6'4 guard from West Virginia and then Isaac Trout the 6'10 power forward slash center from Iowa um, they can both shoot the ball from three, but they both look like guys who are going to compete for roster, roster spots or not ro- just roster spots, rotation spots,
1: rotation spots. Yeah. And what do we say about what it takes to play for
0: Tony Bennett early in, in, in your career? What do you yeah, have any time in your career? You better be able to play defense.
1: And these kids got it. I mean, you could see, I mean, we've watched the pack line. I'm not a, I'm not by any means a, uh, an expert on it, but I've watched it, you know, uh, enough to know where they're supposed to be, how they're supposed to rotate. Uh, they were doing it. They were, they looked like they had been, they had, were seasoned veteran players, um, in Tony's pipeline defense. And if they pick that up this quick, um, uh, then you know, Tony's going to have some tough decisions to make as the season progresses. Uh, it's going to be hard to keep those guys, um, some of those, some of those combinations, it's going to be hard to keep them off the floor, which means. Where does that playing time come from? Does does it mean a a a a, a, re, a, a reduced role for Kie? Uh, a reduced or K- role, for, or uh,
0: Caden Shedrick or Kafaro?
1: Yeah, well, I think Kaffar's, uh I think his playing time is going to all depend upon how much, how long Caden can stay on the floor.
0: Well, but Trout too, you know, because now here's what I'll say. You, you said you know the, about the pack line defense. Isaac McNeely in in high school played his, his coach actually uh, spent time um, um, with the UVA coaching staff uh, um, years ago uh, a few years ago uh, learning the pack line and installing it at his high school and so as a result now it's high school basketball but Isaac McNeely knows how to play he's he's played in the pack line defense and so it's you know arguably easier uh, to for me uh, to for for a guard to play the pack line. The main the main thing you got to do different than if, if you didn't play pack line that you got to learn is instead of funneling guys towards the baseline, you know, you when, when you got a guy trying to drive the basket to you, you try to drive baseline in baseline and in the other defense, most other defenses, I should say, um, using the baseline as an extra defender in the pack line, you actually funnel them back towards the center of the court because that's where the pack line picks up. There's other there's extra defenders there. And so you, you don't want guys going baseline, you want them going to the middle. For for the bigs, what's hard is there's a couple things that are done differently than everybody else. Um, you're expected to hedge on the pick and roll. Um, you're expected to be out there thirty feet from the basket on a pick and roll, uh, not staying back and you know trying to play under the screen. You're playing. You're basically doubling the point guard uh, on the pick and roll. But then you got to get back because you, the the goal of the of the of the um, high hedge, as as Tony calls it in the in the pack line, is to get the point guard to pass the ball um, away from the center of the court, you know, away from, excuse me, away from the, the, um, the lane, pass it to another guard further away. And then, you know, the natural reaction of the big is to to, to try to roll the basket and you have to be fast enough to get back there. Jay Huff for three years, didn't get this. That's why Jay Huff didn't play for three years. Jay Huff, as good as he was, um, couldn't get on the floor because he couldn't play the the, the hard hedge. Jack Salt was a master of the hard hedge. And so for Isaac Trout, his playing time is going to be determined on how he can do that and also the post-to-post double. Um, most teams double the post with a guard. You know, if you're if you, there's a center guarding the guy, uh, and then you have the you have a guard crunch down, and UVA doubles with another post guy. So you've got to be mobile. You can't you can't have lead feet. Uh, and so um, that'll be the key for Trout. But if he can do that, his shooting punch, Scott, you saw it. His offensive abilities are already better than anything we've probably seen uh, from a big. I'm guessing since Anthony Gill, maybe Mike Scott.
1: Yeah, I would say you'd have to go back to get to Scott to, to get a to get somewhat of a comparison. But you know, I kept watching my first thought was seeing it seeing how many threes were made. Um, you know to have that many to have this many bona fide threats from the three it's just going to be – it's going to open up so many opportunities. and it, It's going to make last year's offensive slug uh, just a distant memory because, you know, you know, there's a lot of work to do. As Tony said after the game, you know, he, he praised the team, but he always leaves the foot in the door for room for improvement. Um, it, with the veteran experience that we have coming back and the new, the new talent and the agile talent that we have, um, man, I tell you what, this is this could be a really, really uh, special season.
0: I think you said you talked with Armand Franklin. Um, Armand had struggled a lot last year. He was a 42.4% shooter from three at Indiana as a sophomore, transfers to UVA. I think he finished up just under 30%, but he went uh, 12 of 23 his last three games. And apparently the coaching staff identified a flaw in his mechanics that they were able to fix, and down the stretch, he was lights out like he was at Indiana. Um, I believe you said you talked with him, and he talked about how he shot the ball relentlessly in the offseason to, uh, to try to hone that stroke.
1: Yes, he went down to Miami. I'm not sure whether it was a, uh, a camp or, or what, but he had a lot of workout time with Justin Anderson, and he told me that he shot about 1,500 jumpers a day. And um, working with that new technique that was kind of developed late in the season last year, um, and he also just felt like he was more comfortable with JPJ talking about the sight lines. Mm-hmm. Now I've never been in Freedom Hall or uh, excuse me, um, uh, Indiana's basketball um, assembly or, hall, assembly hall, uh, but supposedly it was much according to Amon, and he was not he he was not making this as an excuse, okay? He just said it was a different background, different shooting. It was different lights to get used to. He never really got all that comfortable in JPJ until later in the season. So, um, yeah, you know, the, I think you're going to see the Amon Franklin that we thought we were going to see when he came over from Indiana.
0: That would be obviously key for this Virginia team. And so to your question about – um, the, the minutes that Isaac McNeely may be able to steal. You know, Tony, Tony will give his number, his minutes out. You know, I know that, you know, people are thinking of traditional guard, guard, forward, forward, center. But the way Tony plays both offensively and defensively, is almost like there's three guys in the backcourt and two forwards. So it's like three guards and two forwards, even though, you know, you'll still see them listed in certain ways, uh, like, like traditionally. Um, Franklin is your three. Reese Beekman is the one. Um, then it comes down to, does Kihei Clark, uh, you know, automatically start at the two does McNeely maybe sneak in and start at the two. Does he maybe start the season as the, as the first guard off the bench with an idea that if he plays the way we've been hearing, he play, he's been playing in camp and also what you saw on Saturday and what he did in Italy as well. Does he maybe is he being groomed for maybe being able to take over a starting role? Keye didn't start as a freshman right away. He eventually worked his way into starting lineup for that team in 2019 that won a national championship. So, I mean, if you left the arena, Scott, on Saturday, I think you were telling me you thought that McNeely could, could be a guy who could start this year for Virginia.
1: I do, but then again, who doesn't? Is it if he does start, which which I think he could, does that mean? Beekman or Kihei is all, comes off the bench.
0: Or Franklin, perhaps. but Or Franklin. I'll throw out there, I mean, you know, to me, um, you you know, Beekman and and, and Kihei Clark are both uh, point guards um, who aren't – I mean, they, they can hit the three, but they're not guys you're going to run off screens to hit threes. <laughs> you know, they'll hit it when they're stationary, when the ball's kicked out to them, that kind of thing. McNeely is in the line of – he's a more physical – Kyle Guy, perhaps. He's six four. He's two hundred plus pounds. He's he's physically stronger and he's two inches bigger. Um, Can get to the rim. Certainly, Uh, Kyle Guy was was pretty much a perimeter guy. Occasionally, get to the rim, but not. He wouldn't. You know, you. It was. He would do that every once in a while just to keep defenses honest. McNeely can get to the rim and he can throw it down when he needs to. Um, So, if you're thinking, hey, I'd like to have as many weapons on the floor at one time as I can, point guard. Then McNeely, then Franklin, and then your front court. I mean, that's going to give you your best offensive weapons. And you know, honestly, if if you're thinking of, you know Beekman, and, and no offense to Kia Clark, but Beekman is a borderline NBA talent if he can just develop consistency on the offensive end in terms of being a scorer. He's got he's got everything else. He's a great defender. He's a great penetrator, creator um, uh, as a point guard. Um, if he can finish more at the rim consistently and then also hit some threes occasionally just to keep defenses honest, he's your better option at point guard. Maybe Kia Clark eventually with this team becomes your backup point guard. Still gives you 20, 25 minutes a game as a backup point guard. Um, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, it, this team may be at its best if, if McNeely can, can step in and, and be a guy who can you know, give you 20 or 25 minutes a game with scoring punch. Uh, and he can play defense. We know, as we mentioned, he's a guy who played the pack line in high school, so he's he's not going to be behind the curve there.
1: And we know that um, even Kyle Guy did not start as a freshman. He,
0: neither he nor or Jerome uh, didn't Jerome. start until later in their season as freshman. Yeah,
1: but but here's the here's the thing: if there, if if McNeely is good enough to be a starter, then I believe that it's going to come at the expense of KiA Clark. Mm-hmm. And, and here's why. How do you take possibly the best defensive player in the country off the floor in Beekman? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's going to be the, that would be the decisive factor is that Beekman is head and shoulders, a better defensive player than KiA Clark. Yeah. Um, so if McNeely is good enough that he gets a start. I think you do see Ta coming off the bench, and you know what I believe. I think we talked about this. You and I may have, but I also talked with some of our colleagues in, uh, in the uh, media, in the media that this had to be a conversation that Tony had with Kia about coming back. In that you have, to, you know, you're welcome to come back. I know Tony wanted him to come back. Kia's parents told me they welcomed him back. Yeah. Um we knew that before anyone else did when it was all speculative whether it was whether KA was coming back or not we knew it that he was coming back but i can't believe it that wasn't part of that conversation in that you're welcome to come back but there's no guarantee you're going to be a starter right right you may have to take a role uh off the bench and being sort of a coach in waiting and and i think that's what Ta's. Uh, understanding is, is that is he may not start. He may – he's still still probably going to get 20, 25 minutes a game, but it may not come as a starter.
0: Well, let's do some math here. If we're saying there's three backcourt spots, and we've got Beekman and Franklin penciled in as starters, maybe, maybe in ink, we'll put them in as starters. And then we're questioning the, the, the minutes between Clark – and then also McNeely you also have to throw in Tane Murray. What did you, th- it, I'll ask you what you thought of Tane Murray. And then Leon Bond and Ryan Dunn are also going to be backcourt guys. They're more threes, but they're still going to be in those minutes. So you got 120 minutes. You got three positions times 40 minutes. That's 120 minutes. Let's go ahead and throw out. Okay. If you're, if, if Beekman's probably going to play 30, let's say 30 to 32 a night, Franklin, probably 30 to 32. a night. let's just say 30 for the sake of argument. That's 60 right there of your 120. You got 60 more minutes to give out. Um, you got you got Clark, you got McNeely, you've got Murray, you've got Bond, you've got Dunn. That's five guys. Um, he's not going to play all five. Got five of those guys. It's likely going to be Clark, some combination of Clark and McNeely, and then m- maybe Murray. But yeah, uh, all of a sudden you got 60 minutes to divide up for those three guys. That averages out to about you know I mean you know a couple guys getting 20 to 25, and maybe Murray getting 10. Your thoughts there, Scott? Because you, you were there Saturday again. What what did you think of what did you think of Murray? Do you think he's playing his way uh, into a rotation role? Last year he had a rotation role briefly and then lost it before the, the the first of the year. I
1: wrote somewhere and I found it. I don't know how because I got a cluster of muck of papers here. I was writing those very numbers down about playing time to try to figure it out using analytics, okay? Yeah. I had Clark at 30 to 35, but I don't know, you know, I don't I don't know. Beekman, 35. Franklin, 25 to 30. Uh, Gardner, 30. And then between Cedric and Poppy, maybe uh, – between Cedric and Poppy, 40. Um, so that doesn't leave a lot of time for – we haven't even talked about Vanderpott.
0: Is it Vanderplass? Vanderplass, yeah. Well, we're still in the backcourt now. I'll, I'll give you the backcourt.
1: Did I, I answer to your question about Murray? I, I think he's improved. He looked a little more. He looked a little confident. Bulked up. I'll tell you that. Looked stronger. But he could just be a casualty of of no. minutes and how many so, solid options to Tony has. Sorry, but you know.
0: Beekman averaged 35.1 minutes last year, Armand Franklin, 29.5. Now Clark averaged 36. Um, there weren't, a, there weren't a lot of options back there. Certainly last year, um, Cody Statman averaged 15.8. He's obviously gone. If we just give, I, I don't know. If, I, don't, I don't know that that Tony with the depth he has this year is wanna, is going to want to play a guy 35 minutes a game every night. Um, I'm thinking more of the 32 to 35 and, and, and probably averaging more like 32 or 33 a night between Beekman Franklin. That still leaves you, again, it's like more like 55 minutes to divide up. I can give you, I can give you Clark and Clark and, 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 and perhaps McNeely giving you 25 each. And then that leaves a few minutes, maybe for Murray, you know, five minutes here, a couple minutes in the first half, couple minutes in the second half um, just to give those guys a rest. But he Tony will like to. He plays eight man rotation. We're still in the backcourt. Um, four guys getting the bulk. A fifth guy getting a, a, about five to seven. And, and Murray averaged seven point seven last year. Thinking he's a front court. Then you you bring up Vin, Vin, uh, Ben Vanderplas. He's he's a he's a natural four. He's a natural power forward. So is obviously team's leading scorer and rebounder from last year, Jaden Gardner. <laughs> Vanderplas comes in from Ohio U, where he averaged double digits in scoring. He was also a, a close to seven rebound a game guy. Then you got Caden Shedrick. Then you got Francisco Gofar, who split time starting at the five. Then you got Isaac Trout. There's five guys competing for 80 minutes there. Gardner, let's put in. He, Gardner last year averaged 32.7. Let's put him in for that. You got 48 minutes left to, to divide among four guys. Um, how do you see things playing out there?
1: You know, I I I think my my default answer to everything is who who picks up the defense, who picks up the back line the best. Um I mean between
0: really Vanderpos and Trout, maybe, because those right, are the two newcomers. Right.
1: Between Vanderplace and Trout. I, I really like Vanderpaus offensively. I didn't really pay a lot of attention to him defensively. Um offensively he's got great hands He he goes to the basket he he he's a good closer you don't you don't want to close your eyes and 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 just hope that he doesn't fumble in a way he's aggressive um and he also looks like he should play for Gonzaga <laughs> he, he is a typical uh Gonzaga looking player
0: uh you know uh, what's interesting about him too is he's a guy that could have Almost literally gone anywhere he wanted to from the transfer portal. I mean, he was—he's that good. He's a double-digit scorer. He can hit the three. He's like a thirty-three percent shooter from three at that size, which—which which makes him a very, very dangerous guy. You can't really—you can't guard him with a big. He'll take the big outside and shoot threes. You can't necessarily guard him with a smaller guy. He'll take him in the post and score on him that way. And he rebounds and he plays defense. So you know, on, on the one hand, he didn't come to Virginia to sit on the bench, but he's gonna he's gonna be a bench player for this team because he's not gonna supplant Gardner. I don't think he's he's got the mobility to be a a, a small forward in this system. Um, he can't offensively run off screens, but I don't know about guarding guys in the backcourt at six eight. So you know, he's gonna come off the bench, but he's gonna still get close to starters' minutes in my opinion. So he's another guy who's gonna get twenty five to thirty. I think this is what this takes out the the um this this makes it so that the fives, um Shedrick and Kafaro, I think the odd man out here is Kafaro, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I do too. Any any yeah, I I do. And, and especially if if uh um Cedric can stay on the floor, stay out of foul toll.
0: Well, if he, and also the, the development of Isaac trout, I mean, that that's just another factor there. Yeah. If Shedrick gets in foul trouble, which unfortunately he he is prone to do, um, Tony Bennett has a choice to make. Does he go Kafaro with, you know, to have another big in there? And obviously Kafaro it can more than hold his own. He's, he's, he's like a Jack salt. He's not going to put up big numbers for you necessarily on a nightly basis, but he's not going to do a lot of things wrong, especially on the defensive end he'll rebound for you and stuff like that. So, but, uh, you know, I can see Tony having the ability to put some different lineups in. I mean, I would, you know, love to see the chemistry out there with, with Vanderplass and Gardner in, in the front court at the same time. Uh, maybe Vanderplass as a stretch five, which is not really a, a role, but we could make it a role, you know, a, a, th- a, th- a center who can certainly stretch you with his three-point ability. If he can guard the, you know, in, in that particular game, if he can guard the five, then great, stick him out there. Um I can see Vanderplas playing some three with this team, depending again on the matchup on the other side. I think Vanderplas can give you some flexibility that not quite, I mean, I don't want to compare him. It's unfair to compare anybody to DeAndre Hunter because DeAndre Hunter was the number four pick of the draft in 2019, but in a kind of a way, um, you know, DeAndre could play three, four or five at, at certain times. Um, and, and you could go small, you could go big and have him on the floor. I think Vanderplas, You can, you can, he can give you some lineup flexibility. DeAndre gave it to you defensively. I think Vanderplas gives you lineup flexibility offensively because he can play a number of positions offensively.
1: I don't think they, you can answer this hopefully. The transfer portal, uh, as far as when we, when we get, when we land a player off the portal, uh, is there a lot of uh, press about other, where they, as freshmen or high school players, well, they came to. They chose this school over this school. Right. Um, I don't know if that was, if if that type of information is is really made public. But alluding to what you said about Vanderploeg having many choices, um, one of those choices I learned from a from a very reliable source was North Carolina. Okay. Now what transfer had a major impact on North Carolina last year? Uh,
0: yeah. I've been comparing him to Brady Manick since the second he committed to Virginia, even when it was just talked about him thinking about Virginia. Oh yeah. He's, he's a, he's a big guy like Manick was. We saw Manick t- and we, we've, we saw both these guys in NCAA tournaments. Manick played for Oklahoma as a freshman. He played uh, against Virginia in the NCAA tournament, the year Virginia won the national title. Of course, we remember Vanderplas, Vanderplass, was part of that Ohio U team that upset Virginia. I think he got 20 points, didn't he? Uh, I think he had 17 points, eight rebounds, but he certainly was a guy that uh, helped them win that game, <laughs> unfortunately for us at that time.
1: So there's a lot of people that said Manix
0: was one of the major reasons Carolina was in the Final Four. Right. Oh, no doubt. No, they're not. They don't. They might not make the tournament without Brady Manic. So,
1: yeah. I mean, <laughs> No, uh, Ohio University is not Oklahoma.
0: But I got, the, I got the final six for Vin uh, Vanderplos here. Uh, it was Illinois a team. We're going to be playing in Vegas, uh, in uh, potentially playing in Vegas in November. Depends on how that main event shootout goes. Um, Iowa State, Ohio State, Virginia, Virginia Tech, and Wisconsin. There's there's some good programs there. <laughs> um, so you know this
1: kid's. This kid's a real deal. It, it, it's going to be interesting um, to see how much playing time he gets. You know, here's the thing I'm thinking about. Why not play these young kids? Because the the, team, the, the players that return, the six returners, uh, is that what we had?
0: Uh, that, uh, seven, including Murray. Six guys who started games and then Murray.
1: For an unseated NIT team.
0: So, well – what they're, did, they're, they're a year older and a year better. Uh, Carolina's uh, claim to fame this year. is They got a bunch of guys – their claim to fame even last year was they had a bunch of guys back from the team be- year before. It took them a while to jail, but they finally did and went to the championship game.
1: Here's an interesting stat that I uncovered. The Hunter, uh, Jerome, and Kyle guy, 2017 was their freshman year. Is that correct?
0: 2016-2017, yeah.
1: They combined for forty six minutes a game.
0: Yeah, yeah, so
1: that's a little over fifteen a game, fifteen minutes a
0: game, which is a little over, yeah. which is less than half a game. Well, Hunter as a Hunter as a freshman uh, tra- uh, redshirted, if you remember. Uh, let me let me get you that number, but yeah, Hunter as a freshman redshirted, uh, he, <laughs> which was which, and then two years later, he's number four pick of the draft. I'll get I'll get the exact numbers up here for you right now. The um, in terms of the, the role these guys played. Um, mm, 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 mm. I wanted to filibuster here a little bit. That's the wrong year. Let's see here. Here we go. Because that was that was the transition year after Virginia lost. Like Malcolm Brogdon, to Anthony Gill, Leonard Parentes was the only guy really hanging around from that group. Um, let's see. That year, Kyle played eighteen point six minutes. He started seven games. Uh, Ty Jerome started five games, played thirteen point nine minutes. So thirty-one minutes combined. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um. So the door's open for these kids to get a lot of meaningful playing time. Um,
0: Potentially, the, the difference is that that team that team only had. I mean, the veterans on that team were London Parentas. Um, and he was going to start a point guard. Um. Mario Shayok uh, was young on that team as well. He ended up playing 20 minutes a game. Devin Hall played 27.4 minutes a game. Isaiah Wilkins played 26.5. Darius Thompson played 20.8. Uh, Mamadi Akite was also—he was a redshirt freshman that year. He played 14 minutes a game. One, there's there's some good guys there. They just were be, they were better later on for the most part. Either either before in Leonard Parentis' case, or later on in a lot of those guys' cases. This year's it's going to be it's going to be hard for the the young guys to break in just because there are six established guys um, who are back. I, I don't want to count Murray as an established guy. He's a sophomore who played seven point seven minutes per game last year. He's just he he's a guy who's back and he, who's competing for rotation minutes. But it's hard to say that you know Isaac Trout or Isaac. McNeely. And those guys will get minutes. It's hard to say that bond, uh, that, that bond or done as good as they are. we're hearing a lot of good things about them, but as good as good as they are that they're going to even have a chance really at, at rotation minutes here, just because there's so much else back.
1: I want to ask you a question that seemed to be a, some thought last year about Beekman and Clark. Mm-hmm. Um, do you see what, – what What do you feel about the the ongoing debate about is Clark eating into Beekman's minutes, hurting his game, um, hurting his development? How do you see that? Where do you stand? Well, on?
0: he's not eating into his minutes because last year they had to play them both because there was really nobody else to play in the backcourt. Yeah,
1: and we weren't available some of those games. So, yeah, they we couldn't get
0: yeah. us. No, uh, as far as his development – um, I can see some of the argument that is being made. At least I can see why people would make it in that they're both point guards, and um you know, and, and, and if you have a guy, and, and if you have a guy like Clark who won a national title, um it's hard to say. Okay, I'd rather Beekman be my point guard, but on the other side of that, uh, you know, a lot of the of the <laughs> hatred for kihei in the fan base. I don't want to call it hatred. It's not like you know they're they're necessarily putting Kihei posters up in their bedrooms and throwing um, darts at it, but I mean you do you do hear from the fans, you see him on message boards and social media. Why is Kihei you know doing this? Why is he doing that? Why is he you know the guy that runs the team? It's because honestly, I, I think it's because Beekman hasn't decided to grow into the role. I mean, I. I I've been saying for a couple of years that this young guy Beekman is an NBA talent. He just needs to grow into that. And he hasn't, he hadn't, to this point, he hasn't done it yet. Yeah. Um,
1: Switch just hasn't turned on offensively for him.
0: And if, and if he's not going to do it and he's your point guard, you know, if, if you have him out there with Isaac McNeely and Armand Franklin, and then Beekman decides to be the very meek Beekman that he can be at times, you know, guy who just blends into the, to the background, he's like wallpaper at times, um, if he's if he's your point guard and he's wallpaper, then who's running the team? And so last year, when when he would deflect, somebody had to step up. And KeA Clark, there's one thing you can't say about KeA Clark is he's afraid of anything. He's five nine, he's 150 pounds, dripping wet, whatever he is, but he ain't afraid of nothing. And um, so you, you know when the team needs somebody to step up, drive the lane, uh, try to try to create something, uh, either for himself or for his teammates. Kihei Clark uh, will do it. If Reese Beekman had Kyle, uh, excuse me, if he had Kihei Clark's want to, Reese Beekman would already be in the NBA. He wouldn't even be at Virginia anymore because if he, if he had the, 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 balls. the heart, yeah, the, yeah, the balls, the heart and courage basketball wise, not talking about his personality or his life, just in basketball, on the basketball court, if he had the heart and courage that KeA Clark did with his talent, he he's an NBA player. So it, we hope he shows that this year to a point where KiA Clark is the backup point guard.
1: Right, um, and, and, and Kie, for as much as we love him, he has no hope. He has no chance for playing in the NBA.
0: Well, he's he's six inches shorter and a lot smaller than you know he's going to be than than Reese Beekman. He, you know, and, and Beekman, he'll do that thing once a game where he'll just drive the lane and dunk over two seven footers, and you say, why didn't they do that more often? You know, he he stands out on the perimeter and passes the ball instead of he doesn't even create for teammates a lot. And then he'll he'll throw it down or he'll have a game like he had he had twenty against Clemson. He had another big game against Syracuse, and then he'll go three or four games and doesn't shoot the ball. Um, if if Beekman steps up and is Beekman, I don't, I don't so I don't blame it. The question was is Kihei holding Beekman back? I think the answer is Beekman's holding Beekman back.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Uh, I mean, he's got to have that that want to. And
0: he's gonna have that killer mentality that God love him. kihei has got it. He just don't have the body to execute it very well. If Beekman had that attitude, man, he'd be you know, he'd be throwing down on guys. He'd he'd be he'd be dangerous out there um offensively. And then if he's out there creating with what he can do, because one. Nobody can guard him one on one. If you're, if you're, I can just see him in a one on one tournament on a court like a, the old Dell, which doesn't even exist anymore. Nobody could guard him one on one. He would get to the basket every single time. What happens in a team game, though, is you also know he's reluctant to shoot the jumper. He's not confident in it. He made 30 some percent last year, so he got better at it. But um, you sag off him and say, all right, I'd rather you shoot 30% from three than run by me and lay it up or dunk it on me. Um, if he could just, if he could get to like 35, 36, 38, 40% from three, he's unguardable.
1: He's, yeah. I mean, another no. an argument there The the good Reese yeah. is that he's our best player. Oh yeah. He's our best defender. He's, he's our best point guard. Wish he was a better three point shooter, but, uh, he does everything else uh, exceptionally well, um, and if this, you know, I'm just just talking through this and looking back, thinking back to what I saw on the floor Saturday, um, I think our best lineup eventually is going to be McNeely and and Beekman and Kie coming off the bench as a third guard.
0: Yeah, well, the, the fourth guard, even if you, if you fourth, put, guard, excuse if me. You put McNe- if you put Beekman at point, McNeely at two, Franklin at three there's your there's your best i mean there's theoretically your best backcourt you got two shooters um uh, you, and one of those shooters mcneely can get to the to the rim himself beekman as a point guard and get to the rim um and then you've got beekman as a guy who can get around his guy who can create for it and, and, and so i'll put in the front court my best lineup not necessarily my starting lineup, but my best lineup i would put those three along with gardner and Vanderbilt. I know there's going to be people out there saying, "Oh yeah, who's going to play defense in the post?" Well, how many how many post guys are there to worry about in college basketball or the NBA honestly? At this stage, basketball isn't played in the post. It's played as a 5-1-5 5-high uh, game almost at this stage. So, you know, if you've got obviously if you're if you're playing Carolina Armando Baycott, yeah, you got to have Cafaro and 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 um, Shedrick in that game a good bit. You can't you can't put Gardner and um Vanderplas on Baycott. Baycott is as alive as it was last year, but most games, your best lineup is going to be uh, Beekman and then McNeely and then Franklin and then Gardner and then Vanderplass. And at that stage, Beekman drives a lane. He's got four guys to, to who can hit threes. Um, two of them being big guys. Um, and that just imagine a guy who, who can create like Franklin. Excuse me, who can create like Beekman being able to kick it out to any of four guys who can do some damage from the outside. That's, that's going to be Virginia's best offense right there.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, I think, I think because Reese is our best defender, uh, he's not going to be leaving the floor for any long stretches of time.
0: Well, him and Franklin are both. That's the thing that frustrated me about last year's team defensively. It was Tony's worst team since his second year at UVA, you know, and when he was still playing with Dave Lato's players uh, from an efficiency standpoint, it was, it was his, it was worst team, you know, since that year, 20, what would that be? 2010, 2011. So over a decade, but you look individually at the guys, um, you know, Beekman obviously was, he should have been ACC defensive player of the year. Clark has always Clark earned his minutes as a freshman, as a, as a defender, Franklin physically is a great defender. Gardner Gardner, held Paulo Banquero twice to single digits, the number one pick in the draft. He held him individually to single digits twice. Shedrick is an elite shot blocker. Cafaro is, is a position defender. He's more like a Jack Salt. He's not going to wow you with anything, but he's never out of position. And then somehow that group, those guys playing the bulk of the minutes, was the worst defensive team we've had since 2011. Um, what that tells me is that, you know, there were a couple guys, Gardner and Franklin, were new to the system. They were all new to each other because, you know, all these guys were stepping into roles. This year, with those guys um, being the bulk of your minutes, Vander Plas coming in, he's a great rebounder. You got a guy in McNeely who's going to play some minutes. Who's played the pack line already? This is going to be a, a it's going to be a better offensive team, but it's going to really be a better defensive team for Virginia.
1: Yeah, and you know, defensive. You know, you grow up too. You know, players get more experience. They hopefully, you know, a little bit more playing time, a little more experience off season. Um, if Cedric can learn to, to, to hedge without picking up these little silly fouls that we see. Uh, and you know, I'm talking a silly foul when you foul somebody 20 foot from the basket. Yeah. Um, the, this, the sky's the limit on this team. Yeah. If he, yeah. if he can stay out on the floor and cause we talked about, it, he doesn't need to be a score, a, a prolific score. Um, He's, he's that defense underneath the basket. He's your shot blocker. He's the de- he's deterrent underneath there. And his problem last year, we saw it all season long, was he just couldn't stay on the floor for long periods of time. Yeah, yeah. So, question I've got about uh, at the ACC media uh, event last week, a friend asked me this, asked me what I made of this. Uh, they were talking to Georgia Tech coach Josh Pastor. And he has com- he had a comment that, well, North Carolina may be preseason number one in the nation, but Virginia's number Virginia's the best team in the ACC. Mm-hmm. Did you see that comment? I did. Oh yeah, I did see that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and friend of mine said, "What do you make of that?" And I said, uh, "Sounds like he's lobbying for a job on Virginia's staff when he gets canned at GT." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if he's still on the hot seat. I know he was last. I know he has been off and on on the hot seat. I don't know what his current status is, but uh, he's always been very uh, complimentary of UVA. But this particular case, I'm not sure if he was wrong. Yeah, I, you
0: know? I, I, I can see the point. I mean, I think that there's three clear teams who are the best in the ACC. And the AP pulled out today only had three ACC teams in the top 25. Uh, Carolina number one, Duke number seven, because duke's name is duke and virginia was number 18 so i mean from the national standpoint the national writers uh they like carolina because they were in the championship game last year uh they like duke because duke's name is duke and um you know recognition that virginia should be in the top 25 and so they put him at 18. um you know i think the argument for virginia i mean the argument for carolina is they got a lot of guys back they lost brady manic which is which is a big loss he was a difference maker for that team but you know, you got a lot of guys back. You got Caleb Love. You got uh, Armando Baycott, as we mentioned. Uh, you know, Maliky Black's back. He's there. He reminds me of Cornell Parker from way back in the day from Virginia, uh, a guy who's not going to do much uh, offensively, but is a lockdown guy defensively. At six seven, can guard a lot of positions. Um, you got so you got some guys back there. Um, I don't know that they have the depth though that Virginia's got. Uh, Virginia has a lot of guys back. Yeah, they were twenty one and fourteen, played in the NIT last year. I think we all could um, easily argue, though, that what the ACC did in the NCAA tournament, 14 and 5 record. Jim Beheim went off on this uh, last week at his media day, actually, not even the AC- ACC media day, but his own Syracuse media day. Um, we got kind of shafted <laughs> as far as the NCAA tournament is concerned. Wake Forest didn't get a bid. You know, Virginia was 12 and 8 in the ACC. I mean, you know, if, if the, the Big Ten, give them credit, the Big Ten schedules uh themselves to play each other so much, <laughs> obviously, that they they knock each other's NET ratings up. They went nine and nine on the tournament. They didn't they had one team play on the the second weekend, uh, Michigan. Um, who was 17 and 14 in the regular season? They had one team play. Um And uh, and we had three teams in the Elite Eight, two in the final four, one in the championship game. And that the team that made the championship game, Carolina, barely made the tournament, barely made the NCAA tournament. Um, And so um, the ACC was undersold. I think in in any other year, Virginia probably makes the NCAA tournament last year. They they would you know, we would have been a 10 seed or an 11 seed. We might have been in the first four or something like that. But we, we were a tournament team last year. Let's just let's just put it that way. Uh, and so now you got all those guys back a year older. You got the number 11 recruiting class. You got Ben Vanderplas in there. Hell yeah, there's 12 guys competing to play uh, minutes for you. Duke's got seven freshmen and four grad transfers. They have one guy back who played any minutes for them last year, any appreciable minutes for them last year, point guard Jeremy Roach. So um, those are the three best teams. It won't surprise me that at the end of the season, Virginia, This this Virginia team feels to me sort of like, that 2013-2014 team um, that had some struggles early on. You know, they were 9-4 after losing to Tennessee, um, but then ran through the ACC and got a number one seed in the tournament. This, this Virginia team's got some tough games early. We've got, uh, what, Northern Iowa could be a tough game at home early. The, that's a team that made the NIT last year, won 20-plus games. Obviously, the Vegas shootout with Baylor and then either UCLA or Illinois. There's Houston coming to JPJ, Houston's preseason number three. Um, you know, you're not going to go undefeated through that stretch. You've got to go to Michigan in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. There's going to be a couple losses at least there. But by the time January 1st rolls around, I think this Virginia team is going to start showing that it's, it's the best team in the ACC.
1: Oh, I, I agree. And um, an article that you had written last week, Tony Bennett's schedule very much indicates what Tony Bennett thinks of this team because it's a challenging schedule. I mean, you just named it. Um, in addition to the ACC gauntlet that we have to run, uh, Houston, um, Michigan in the Big Ten challenge. Um, is it Illinois?
0: It's Baylor first. And Baylor, Baylor first. Baylor and then either Illinois or UCLA, uh, depending on how that first game goes.
1: Um, Tony wouldn't Tony's not going to make that schedule that difficult if he's if he's not confident that he's got the players that are maybe maybe he's not maybe he's not totally confident that they're gonna win all those games, but he's totally confident that they're gonna gain something from playing in those games.
0: Well, he's confident they won't lose them all. <laughs> That's a tough schedule. That's a very
1: tough schedule. But um and uh, so yeah, I, I think that uh, that that. He knows he knows the potential there, but Tony, being Tony, knows that he's also got a lot of work to do with him, and it's going to be fun. I mean, we've spent an hour uh, talking about football, talking about basketball, and on the heels of maybe the most exciting week in college football weekend in college football. Uh, so that tells you how much – it either tells you how much interest we have in Virginia basketball or how little interest there is in Virginia football right now.
0: Well, it's, it was an exciting weekend in college football, but it none of that excitement involved Virginia, thankfully, because it probably wouldn't have been good for Virginia football if it involved uh, us.
1: I, I just – watching the Tennessee-Alabama game, sidetracking this,
0: yeah, uh, yeah.
1: jumping the rail, is that I kept thinking – somebody's got to get us out of that opening game next season.
0: So you were thinking that, and what I was thinking is um, I would love to be – I saw this tweet, so I can't claim, and I don't remember who who tweeted it, so I'm not going to claim authorship of the idea, but I I thought it was a great uh, observation. I would love to be a fly in the room the next time Justin Fuente is in a job interview and he's asked the question, so why did you think Braxton Burmeister was a better quarterback for your Virginia Tech team than Hendon Hooker was?
1: Hey, do you know that Burmeister is actually quarterbacking still a starting quarterback? Where's that? I'm going to say San Diego State.
0: Well then. You it worked can... out for him too.
1: <laughs> it worked out for him. He left beautiful Blacksburg to go to San Diego. But
0: think? uh Hooker is a uh, one of the Heisman. top Heisman,
1: Heisman. Heisman-, 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 Heisman.
0: Heisman- and then, and then the uh, receiver who had I, – I don't have the guy's name in front of me. It would take me too long to find it. But uh, the receiver who had six catches, 207 yards, five touchdowns for uh, Tennessee in that game um, was a Virginia Tech commit who decommitted and went to Tennessee. So um, they could be in Blacksburg right now, but instead they're at Tennessee. And um, that's uh, – you know, and all of, our, all of our Tech friends out there, uh, uh, no doubt they're well aware of this. Um, you know, so you, you know, you look at that and you say, uh, <laughs> but for the grace of God to go, Hey, what about this with him and hooker too? um, hooker, when he went, when Tennessee won that game, broke a 15 game losing streak to Alabama, he was on the other end of a 15 game losing streak being broken again at Virginia tech. He was a starting quarterback that, uh, lost to Virginia for the first time in, you know, after a 15 game tech winning streak over Virginia
1: he's been on both ends of the spectrum in his college career hasn't
0: he yeah well and uh it it, it just shows i guess that (laughs) he maybe wasn't coached right used right etc developed right at virginia tech also there's this little nugget josh heupel Uh, maybe we can start closing with this because we're this this is this is my thinking about football josh heupel got the job at tennessee Tennessee, before Josh Heupel was offered the job, was interested in Tony Elliott, who turned down being interviewed for the job. Um, you think Tennessee is happy that they got the guy that they got? So,
1: so Coach Elliott turned down the Tennessee job?
0: He turned down interviewing for it. He was, he was approached about interviewing for that job before uh, Josh Heupel was approached about interviewing for the job.
1: Yeah, I'd say Tennessee's pretty happy with the choice right now.
0: I think they're number three in the country right now, and uh, we're we're not even number three in Virginia.
1: Central Virginia, maybe. <laughs> uh, although Louisa has a really good team.
0: Well, you know, so, and Stab, Stab's always got guys. I mean,
1: Stab's yeah. got a good team, even though they play seven man football. Uh, uh, but
0: they they got. I mean, they've you know, Chris Long went there. They got some guys there. They got some dudes. Yeah. So. <laughs>
1: Yeah, we taken enough jabs at the football. They had a bye week. They didn't lose. Uh, but basketball was going to be very – you know, basketball is always – it was fun for us last year, Chris, and we sucked.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's
1: we fun. had we had a great time. And you could tell the atmosphere of JPJ. Somebody said – somebody remarked, oh, my gosh, look at this crowd. Look at this crowd. And the, the comment was they, they're just starving for a quality product. <laughs> and, and that's the <laughs> truth. I mean, yeah, they, you know, and they, and you know what? There was that many people there. There really wasn't a whole lot of, of overflow crowd come in when the men's game started. They were there was almost that many people there uh, during the women's
0: scrimmage. A lot of excitement about Amagua Agugu Hamilton. Uh, excuse me. Yeah, I got that right. I got coach mock. So let's just coach say her. she, she prefers that because it's easier for her to say probably too. Uh, but yeah, she's got three, five-star players on this roster. <laughs> I mean, damn. And uh, she's recruiting great for the next couple of years. Um, this team is the, the women's team that is has won five games total in the last two years. Um, they will do a lot better than that this year.
1: Chris seat coach Mox. I watched her doing the men's scrimmage was signing autographs and talking to fans the entire game posing for pictures talking mm-hmm. to young girls um, she's doing all the right things uh, I'm not going to I'm not going to say we're going to be on track to be the UBA of Don Staley and, and, and Tammy Reese and the birds twins uh, uh, but she's doing the right thing and it's you know, UVA has a lot to offer women's basketball, and there's a lot of great players in the state. You can't tell me that if Coach Mox was here when, when Sarah Brunel was a senior or junior senior in high school, she wouldn't have played in Charleston. The oh, place yeah. was packed. I understand the lower bowl is sold out of season tickets for uh, this year. For women's basketball. I was at two women's games last year, Chris, and I knew the other fans that were there
0: personally. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, there was maybe two hundred people in JPJ. When when you're all you got to do right now to to win at Virginia went for the women's program, it seems like is just recruit the local area. Samantha Brunel was from Greene County, just up the twenty nine, just what about twenty minutes up twenty nine. She's got north. Kamora Johnson uh, is from Stab from St. Ann's Belfield. She's a she's a number twenty five recruit next year in the country. And I don't have the kids' name, but the number 30 recruits from Louisa County, you know, out your way on 64. So if you just hold – if you just keep the kids home within 30 or 40 minutes of of JPJ, you'll have a good team. Um, We just weren't doing that for so long.
1: Yeah, our friend that coaches – our friend Chris Wright, uh, the Sabre that coaches basketball at Western Albemarle – I was talking to him one day and he said that the talent for women's basketball in high school is enormous in the entire state of Virginia, but especially in the Shenandoah Valley and, 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 and central Virginia. Uh, there's been a lot of talent over in the Shenandoah Valley. Uh, didn't Carolina have a player from Fort that they, that they got? Yeah,
0: that was, a, that was back in uh, the nineties. Yeah. Heather Clater from Fort Defiance played at Carolina for four years. Um, not my friend Chris Wright Scott. Um, I will just say that they the uh, saber people have uh had banned me from being on their website about a month ago. So, uh, but Chris, yeah, yeah, folks listening know Chris, but. Uh, not not friends with me, certainly. Hey,
1: they're lost. I've had numerous people ask me why they we, they can't link to us on that site. So they're lost, not ours. I don't,
0: hey, I'm, I'm still I don't getting... think a test
1: of free press is hurting for clicks right now. Uh,
0: your, your story you wrote about the basketballs had already had a couple thousand clicks. Um, your, your, your story from Saturday night. So um, we're, we're happy, but yeah. yeah the, the point though uh, is, is right, that there's a lot of talent uh, in the local <laughs> area, just in the local area here, not even including then stretch out to Richmond, D.C., uh, Hampton roads, uh, you know, yeah. Uh, you know, basketball men's basketball. I mean, you don't, you don't make a living recruiting your home base if you're a power five, but you know, Virginia certainly can't, the Virginia women certainly can. And, um, so the job coach Mox is doing there is, is great. And, uh, you know, hey, we, we, I, th- I think we're going to make some women's games this year. That'd be the first time in years that uh, we'll have covered, we'll cover some women's games. So there's no doubt we're going to cover some women's games this year. I want to see what she has, she can put uh, on the floor with, the, with this group.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I like her already. I like her personality. She's, she's outgoing. She's really dynamic. Uh, She's the opposite of what we had here, that's for sure. I won't go any further than that, but
0: yeah, uh, we won't speak ill of the dead. So it, it, actually Tina Thompson, she got her job, she's a scout for the Portland Trailblazers, she's doing fine. Uh, you know, she's she's moving on. Buster
1: Posey is now, I think, with the bullets or the wizards.
0: Buster Posey. I mean, was he? who was the assistant coach? Oh, oh, not uh, Buster Posey is the baseball player. Who I'm thinking what of? was the assistant
1: coach's name? Oh, uh
0: James guy? Posey, right? James Posey. But,
1: yeah check him check him out i think he's got an assistant job somewhere maybe oh well
0: that that would be good for him yeah he 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 when he got hired by tina thompson we thought hey he should be in the nba somewhere not here um just like tina thompson should probably been a wnba coach not in college it's the college game is different than the nba nba and wnba games you got to recruit players you don't have a general manager hiring your players for you you got to actually find them and then coach them up um uh, and, you know, you find out the hard way. We found out the hard way with Tina Thompson. But, uh, she, you know, she's, she's doing well, and I guess her staff's got jobs elsewhere. And Coach Mox, we're excited about. And we're looking forward to seeing what she can do. Um, she's, already, she's already getting the talent. Now she's got to put them out there and put them in the right places and have them play basketball. But I, w- with her success at Missouri State, she was 74 and 15 in three years there. I don't think there's any doubt she can, she can coach them up the right way.
1: Yeah, you got to get the players first. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, uh, I think we talked about this once about, uh, about Dean. The, 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 the misnomer about Dean was, "Well, oh, he just rolls the balls out. He just gets all the great players. And that, that wasn't true. Uh, you know, he got great players, but he also was a good coach.
0: He was a good coach before he got the good players, and then he was a good coach after he got the good players. Uh, Tony Bennett, same way. Some coaches, and I, I, you know, I don't want to sound sour, so I won't say any names. But some coaches who are big name coaches are roll the ball out there coaches. Uh, but uh, you know, um, it's it's harder to do that. You, if you're a roll the ball out there coach, you have to have the absolute best players every year. Um, and even those guys don't win a lot of national championships when they do that. I'll well, and it. you know, you
1: said you didn't want to mention any names, and we won't,
0: Mike Susheski. But the results were evident. Oh, John Calipari, he okay. his last national title was what 2011? Yeah, um, roll the ball out. And with the best
1: players, that doesn't work, yeah, it, just do. doesn't work.
0: it doesn't work, doesn't work. You got to have you got to actually coach him as well. Um, so uh,
1: one, one quick thing I read uh, uh, a plug for Jerry Ratcliffe, his site had a great story today on Tony Bennett, uh, recruiting. I don't know if you
0: read that yet. I did, I did, yeah, I saw that, yeah, uh,
1: but a great story, great, great article by Jerry about Tony's, uh, philosophy on recruiting and man, spot on on Tony Bennett. I mean, you couldn't have, uh, you couldn't have pegged that any better because, you know, Tony recruits, he tells the crew, he tells the kids what they, what they need to hear. And he loses some because of that.
0: That's right. That's right. Uh, and here, you not, know Jerry and I usually do a podcast on Thursday. We might have to do ours Friday this week, though, because the the football game's Thursday night, and that wouldn't give us enough time to talk about. We might want to recap the football game. So I'm just thinking out loud there, Scott. But that's a way for me to remind people that yeah, Thursday football this week. So don't forget that, <laughs> um, Scott. You too. I don't. I don't want to forget it. Thursday is is uh, the game at Georgia Tech. Um, so keep that, is that in mind. The
1: um, Comedy Channel or the Cartoon Network. <laughs> <laughs> it, or, or is it on the sci-fi network
0: sci-fi yeah those are good ones uh is there still a court tv, court TV um, Nickelodeon. we may, may want to sue somebody after having to watch it um uh, <laughs> uh, well,
1: hey chris i'm still staying i'm still sticking to my five of six five out of the last six i thought
0: it's, you said four, four out of six gets us to 500
1: yeah but i'm hey
0: you're we'll thinking seven and five you're, you're thinking five wins out of the last
1: six now Chris, look. Look at the schedule. We only have two road games left. One of them is Thursday night in Georgia Tech, which is not going to be, you know, they're going to be thirty thousand or less. And then we play in Blacksburg, which is a different story. But we've got home games against Carolina, winnable; Miami, winnable. Of course, they're also losable. Uh, uh, Coastal Carolina, winnable. And who am I leaving out? Pitt. 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 Those are four winnable games. Also, four lose games.
0: Well, there are four winnable games uh, if you're a program that is competent. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Well, uh, I'm thinking we'll you got your. You, we'll get competent all of a sudden. You're undergoing treatment for your elbow injury. I'm I'm wanting whatever painkillers you're on right now because they must be working really good.
1: It's Holly Lobby. They it's the Holly Lobby brand of airplane glue. <laughs>
0: Thank you very much for that. I will make a trip over. Um, (laughs) Well, for our listeners out there, thank you for joining us here on this podcast. It's fun for us to do. And I know a lot of folks enjoy. So for Scott German, I'm Chris Graham signing off. Everyone have a great day.